Welcome everybody to the Tag Your It Podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I am Dave. And man, it has uh, seemingly have been a long time since we got to be together in the studio. About um, a month? Jamming. Not yeah. quite, but somewhat. Uh, maybe three weeks. Maybe yeah. three weeks. It's been a little bit different. My yeah. schedule, your schedule, what we've been going and doing, all those things. Yeah. Busy yeah. stuff. But so, yeah, last last time we got together, we got to be on the uh, phones with Josh and Brandon. That's right. Which was awesome, but then the live cast cut out, so for the live cast watchers right now, we're sorry if something weird happens. Um, just know it's an awesome tag your uh, technical difficulty, so um, bear, <laughs> you, you guys constantly bear with us in grace and mercy and keep on um, listening and uh, just uh, talking to us and emailing us and messaging us, and we thank you for that um but definitely always the podcast the podcast always happens so <laughs> yes the podcast always happens and that's yeah. what we have been doing the majority of our five years of doing mm-hmm. this together has been mostly podcasting when we used to record it in the basement two times a week we started out doing it that way and that was great and we do have a story about us that will be in the pathway in the near future about our five years of apologetics podcasting which is pretty crazy to think about and i'm glad to be able to think about it yeah i mean technically it's four years and we are on our uh, fifth fifth year year Mm -hmm. right now so you're with us on the fifth year but it's still i mean really thinking about just where we started from um, just kind of nothing with, with, with almost just a friendship that just budded and everything. <laughs> and we have continued to do something like almost every, oh, it started out bi-weekly. Yeah. And then we just got sporadic everywhere. For a while we were like, uh, in, in 2018, yeah. there was this point where we were just going every week for quite a while. Yeah. And I mean, it was busy and it was hard, but like, I enjoyed yeah. every last bit of it. I. Not probably a good idea for us to do that all the time because we do have families and kids and uh, ministry obligations and and I shouldn't say obligations, blessings, opportunities. Mm -hmm. And while this is an amazing opportunity, we don't want to overdo it because our primary ministry is, of course, in our homes to our families. So, Yeah. yeah. So oh. this is the first time you've interviewed me for a show, by the way. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not sure about interview. Um, <laughs> sometimes we have, or most of the time we have questions for other people. I don't have, I have one question for you to start out with and we'll end up uh, um, going from there. But anyway, guys, uh, if you've been noticing the timelines, if you've been uh, seeing hopefully some sponsored Facebook content, I hope. I hope uh, so some, too. Some money <laughs> that we spent and we, uh, you know, it's one of those things that we don't really say names or anything, but I do want to thank so much Travis Wright. Um, he gave us a little donation and said, I want you to use this to advertise something. So that's basically telling us, um, you don't do anything marketing-wise, and I want you to do it. So I yeah. wanted to say that whenever any deals are made with us, we try to be true to our word Yes, and what the other person says to do. And so um, we had taken that donation. I did not spend it on anything else, but hey, we got a book coming out. 
and I'm going to try this Facebook marketing thing to see if it works. And uh, it looks like some playthroughs happened uh, and hopefully um, connected people with just the idea of inerrancy. That was a fun video to make. And it explained um, your, the summary on the back of the book that we were talking about. Um, did God stutter anyway? And so that was Dave reading it, and I got to put that together. So people heard something about inerrancy um, 752 times, I guess. Um, you know, 20 bucks that I, I threw in on it. We'll see how it goes, and then we'll uh, go on from there. But yeah, thank you again, uh, Travis, for um, giving us the opportunity to do that and supporting Tag Your It. I just, we don't name drop a whole lot, but I wanted to say thank you so much for that. Um, and uh, that just helps our ministry. So, but anyway, with that said, and if I just mentioned it, today is the day that officially um, Baptist and Reformed Publishing um, is born. And um, with our first book, the flagship book written by you, should Dave. Be, uh, should yeah. be available on Amazon. Yes. And uh, right now, mm -hmm. it probably is still in the hold-up stage, but it should be available very, very soon. We had a yeah. few little hiccups. Some of it was my fault, actually, I can say. It was all my fault. I could have uh. Uh, done things a little bit more succinctly. But yeah, today's the exciting day because the book has released, and you should be able to purchase the paper copy here really, really quick. And uh, I guess we do need to announce our three winners of the uh, PDF version of the book. Yeah, so, you know, we uh, did the little random flippy through and did everything. So we've got three winners of the digital copy. And so um, these are three known winners, too. That's what came up anyway. But Jack Coltis. You are a winner of a digital copy. So We will have it to you right after the program yes, today. We do you can't have... cheat and start reading while we're broadcasting. That's right. You can't do that. And we got Josh Jenkins, which you know, y'all know and love. And also <laughs> we have Will Hoffman. We're just going to give away three digital copies. And oh, we'll endorse the book, so, the so we should at least get them a free copy. That's right. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah, those are the those are the people that are getting a, a free digital copy, so that you don't have to go worry about going out and buying it. Unless if you still want to support the ministry, you can get a paper copy on Amazon. But another thing that we're doing is um, if you go to uh, tagyourministries.org/brpub, if you go to there, there's a donate button, and for any amount. Um, any amount you, you donate. If you donate us any amount, then we'll send you via email. So make sure you put your email in the comments and everything. Um, we'll email you a digital copy of the book as well. So if you want to help out that way um, with Tag Your It, um, just whatever we do around here, you know, sometimes we need studio equipment, sometimes it's um, advertising, trying that out, or just uh, it could be gas money to go somewhere to, you know, talk to a youth yeah. group. It could be any of those kind of things. We do not spend any money that's given to Tag on personal things. Um, so, um, uh, that goes straight into, Hey, I got some money. Like we had, we had something come in and, uh, major part of this book is actually, um, a debate transcript. Yes. So, um, if you didn't, hadn't seen the debate between, uh, Dave and Phil Kahlberg, um, it's actually transcripted out. So if you're having problems hearing or listening to the debate you can read it well there's a key um, so, part to that yeah. because when you listen to content which obviously we enjoy listening to content quite a bit but your mind processes things a little bit differently mm -hmm. 
And so one of the things that's included in the book is an afterword where uh, Phil writes some of his reflections and then I write some of my reflections. And here's what I would challenge anyone to do. If you watched the debate, if you were there live, I would tell anyone to go and read the transcript. Uh, you'll see some things that you didn't see when you watched it face to face. You'll even catch some things that when Adam and I broke it down uh, a few weeks after that, that we also keyed in on. And so all that to say this, the value of reading the argument is going to be incredibly important to you. And I would encourage anyone who regularly listens or who watches the live stream or who went to the debate and maybe you don't follow it, uh, I would go back and I would read those arguments because you're going to see some things there and you're going to see some sources cited, some arguments affirmed that are easy to miss when you just watch it live. And uh, as I went back and looked at the arguments, I again was astounded at some of the lack of, again, just uh, interaction with real actual arguments. And so yeah. there's my my so, yeah, piece yeah, for I mean, it, right? Yeah, right what I'd there. say is, yeah, go back and uh, if you get this book and you get a print copy or you print something out, um, if you get a digital version but still are able to print, you can highlight things. Um, you know, like he's saying, you can see the words and then think about them and chew them up slowly, highlight things, see where Dave is going, see where Phil's going and see if you can connect the dots or see if there's, you know, inconsistency. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Inconsistency, which would be from, from our end, definitely. Um, but you can see where all that kind of, you can see the debate better. Um, uh, I know, uh, reading, uh, debating Calvinism, um, with, uh, that'd be James White and... Dave Hunt. Oh, Dave Hunt, that's right. Um, you know, reading those debates are awesome. Actually, after reading that, just kind of seeing both sides and being able to see that. So you can do that with this book, too. But anyway, um, we're talking about the book, and we haven't really uh, talked about, you know, just getting into the book. And that's what we wanted to definitely get get a hold of. And, uh, you know, that's the interview anyway. But my uh, major first starting question for us, Dave, uh, tonight is, you know, now we've got a book called Did God Stutter? It's on inerrancy. So um, let's just uh, get into the story of uh, um, where, where did this book idea even start? So, yeah, so that is the best place to start. Yeah. Where did it start? Yeah. Um, I grew up, as everyone who listens to the program knows, and maybe some of you are listening to the first time, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. My dad is a graduate of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I was in church every Sunday for Sunday school, for church, for evening worship, and Wednesday night. That was not a questionable thing. That was not a debatable thing. It's a very traditionalist church. It was a church plant by the North American Mission Board, which was called the Home Mission Board, and, and my dad was one of the um, key guys in helping get the church going. Um, he uh, pastored a little church before that, and then I just grew up under his preaching. Uh, my dad loves God wor God's Word. Um, well, I think you were with me. I met a friend of my dad's who was a, a pastor, um, and uh, we I think it was when we were at Nine Marks, and he's like, oh yeah, your dad, I remember he always had his copy of his Greek New Testament when he was driving buses, and you'd walk up to him and he'd be reading his Greek New Testament there at the basketball game in in the rows. And so I grew up with my dad translating on uh, when we'd have our morning devotional time. My dad would translate to us, and, and I just kind of took some of that for granted. And so the reality that my dad loved God's Word and just immersed us in it growing up was something that was just... Uh, incredibly central to my identity, to who I was, the trustworthiness, and, and I took so much of that for granted. 
Mm-hmm. Well, uh, when I went to Southwest Baptist University, I entered into uh, the school there with a communication degree as my emphasis because I was going to be on the speech and debate team. And um, one of the things that you do in communication theory is, of course, you deconstruct words. You talk about meaning of words. Semiotics is the theory, basically. Mm-hmm. What? Uh, how do we compartmentalize the meaning of the word? I.A. Richards is the um, theorist who writes um, semiotics, right? And so while we're having this discussion, there was almost this aside from one of my professors who I greatly admired, who I just thought, man, I mean, thought, I didn't think that this guy walked on water, but man, if he said something, I just really firmly believed it. I mean, he was super knowledgeable, super sharp guy. Uh, I just thought, man, here I'm at a Christian institution, and I think I've got one of the smartest communication professors in the world. And in this lecture on semiotics it seems as i remember it kind of almost being out of nowhere he says well the term inerrancy and i'd never heard the term before Mm. uh inerrancy that's a stupid term that evangelicals used to argue about but nobody even cares about anymore now Mm -hmm. i had no clue i had uh basically a blank script on what that term actually meant. And I shouldn't say that I had a blank script. I had hostility towards that in my fleshly self because it is a transcendental supernatural transcendent supernatural truth that God's word is pure in everything that it claims. And so in the uh, normative state of humanity, we're at hostility with what God says. So when this professor says that it's a stupid, antiquated term that nobody uses, I thought, well, for sure it is. And my dad never used that term, anyways. So I kind of wrote the term off, and that happened uh, fairly recent, you know, fairly early on in my time at Southwest Baptist University. And uh, because I wasn't a Bible major, there really wasn't a a lot of classes that I was taking in religion. Uh, I took Old Testament, New Testament, spiritual formations, good classes, but, Mm. you know, uh, there's only as much content as you as a student want to put forward energy and effort in those classes. And so uh, I I passed both all those classes. I I think I got A's in all of them. Maybe I got a B in New Testament, Uh, but, but I did well in those classes, right? So I'm kind of traveling along, and when I go to SBU, while I was a communication major, I went to SBU knowing that God had called me into ministry and that God had called me to to serve Him in some type of vocational ministry. Like I actually got the church-related vocations scholarship because yeah. I said at the outset of my career as a student that I was going to be in ministry. When I go to SBU, I not only heard from this professor in my communication department who said inerrancy was stupid, believing God's word was was stupid. In fact, he was the first person that I ever heard to say, well, I'm not a theologian, but, and then make a theological statement, right? Uh, I did have some professors who I really believe, uh, believed God's word to be true, uh, value God's word, and, and think highly and honor God's word as God's word. But the the professors that were the most impactful on me were individuals who wanted to question the clarity and the sufficiency of God's mm-hmm. word over and over again. And of course, that always leads, leads to the inerrancy of God's word. Mm-hmm. So, fairly early on, I think that the term inerrancy is stupid. I, I don't even mention it to my dad or anything like that. I just kind of in the back of my head always thought, well, that's a dumb term. Well, As my time at SBU progresses, I become less and less sure of 
God's calling on my life to pursue ministry, uh, God's equipping of me to, to preach the gospel. And remember, I've been preaching the gospel since I was 15 years old. I mean, when I was 13 years old, I was like, God has called me to do ministry. That is what he has called me to do and set me aside to do. I mean, at nine years old, I knew that God had called me to preach the gospel. And so this is uh, just fundamental to who I am. And as I spend these four years in college in what should be a Christian institution, I hear God's word attacked again and again and again, and it begins to be very uh, very hard for me to believe that, that what God says is actually true. And so I, I get to my senior year, and I'm kind of in that last semester, and uh, I was a pretty lazy last semester senior. I took classes that I wanted to take that were easy, right? Uh, but I did take a preaching class, and that class really created some serious tension in me. Mm. Because I did have a professor who I believe believes God's word to be true. And he's telling us that we need to look at God's word. We need to preach from God's word. Uh, it is the whole counsel of God that we need to preach. And, and so I'm wrestling with this concept. And so I go to one of my other professors who I just love to death. Uh, we actually went to the park in uh, Bolivar, and we were shooting some video uh, for some projects that he was doing. And uh, he'd invited me to do that. And I said, well, hey, professor... Um, you know, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do after I graduate. And he said, well, you know, or, or if you, you, you came here and you said you're going to do ministry, what have you thought about that? And I said, well, and this is honestly almost verbatim what I said, because I, I remember it, it's resonated in my head. I said, um, Professor, I'm not going to use his name, I don't think that's fair. Yeah. Professor, when I came here, I thought that God called me to ministry and to proclaim his word. And here I am after four years, and I can't proclaim something to people that I don't believe is true. Now, at that particular point, a professor at a Christian institution should have said something to the effect of, you know, it's, it's valuable to look at God's word and to ask God's spirit to change you by his word. But you should not question God's word as true. Uh, let me pray for you right now, mm -hmm. because I hate to hear that you're graduating from this institution, a Christian institution, and you're not believing that God's word is true. Not what was said. Mm -hmm. It was said, mm, okay, essentially. Mm. Yeah, and, and I mean, that, that leads to a lot of depression oh, and all that kind of night, stuff. So, man. I mean, this is a very big episode in your life. And so, yeah, you, now you, that you've uh, been there, so like, just kind of tell us a little bit to why, yeah. why was he saying that inerrancy is stupid? Because he rejected God's word. He didn't want to hear from God's yeah. word, but this is where yeah. there becomes this really awesome God ordained blessing. Yeah. It was probably within that week or so, somewhere in that same time period where I get invited by a fellow student and I will use this person's name. Mark Roberts, hmm. and he says, hey, my dad's the president at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, you ought to come to this breakfast that he's hosting. It's free. You can get free breakfast, and uh, he's going to talk about the seminary, and maybe it's something you should think about. Well, I was pretty poor. Uh, I was living off campus, so I, I didn't eat real good. So I, uh, I was like, sure, man, no problem. I didn't even have to get up that early. I think it was like 8.30 or 9 o'clock. So it wasn't even like I was getting up that early. So I go, and the thing that sticks out to me that day, and I don't remember much of anything that Dr. Roberts talked about, except he said, at our school, 
we embrace the doctrine of inerrancy. Mm -hmm. All of our professors believe in inerrancy. And I thought, wait a second, that's a stupid term that nobody believes anymore. And so I was more intrigued than anything that there was a place that existed that actually believed God's word to be true. Mm. I graduate. I did not jump into ministry. I was selling paint at Certipro Painters, door-to-door painting. And uh, I was doing some improvisational acting and... Uh, one day I just got really frustrated and I just called into work. It's not something I normally do. And I just thought, all right, God, what do you want me to do? You know, where, where do you want me to go? I, I don't know what's going on here. And uh, so I actually ended up taking about three days off. And uh, it was that second day that I was there, there it was at my home by myself. And um, I thought, you know what? I, I thought about seminary. Maybe I should give it a try. And so I scheduled a visit to the campus and uh, just, fell in love with the campus, the idea that people believed God's word, and then there was this uh, little cleanup batter opportunity when we went to a Royals game and Mark Roberts invited me to go, mm. and he said, you really should go there. You should really give it a try. And I thought, all right, I'm sold. Wrote my essays, got accepted. First night of class, the professor is speaking about backgrounds of the New Testament, and he's speaking about it in a way that was as if these things really mm -hmm. happened, as if these things in the Bible are actually a reliable record. Yeah. And I thought, I've never heard any, I even, I called my dad, I was like, what in the world, like, these guys like really believe this stuff. And yeah. it was, sh I mean, it was a breath of fresh air into my lungs, uh, and through the, that, the rest of that two years, God just continued to refine me until the last semester that I was a student. I was in Dr. Rustin Umstead's class, and at the very first day in our Theology 2 class, he says, uh, who here has read the Bible all the way through? And I thought, mm, I haven't. By that time, I'm 24, 25, something like that. And he's like, all right, everyone in this class, class of about 32 guys, uh, there might have been a few ladies in there, but not, not, not that many. Um, those of you who've read the Bible, just hold your hand up. Two men have it about 30 right around in there people. And he said, well, shame on you guys. Here you are. You're going to jump into ministry and you haven't even read God's word mm -hmm. all the way through. And he said, whatever you do, do not graduate from this school without having read God's word all the way through. Mm. Now, a vital component of theology, uh, Christian theology, and of course, systematic theology is the inerrancy of God's word. Um, yeah. And so we were going to have to wrestle with that. Yeah. The pump had been primed. I went home that day and I actually went back to my apartment and I printed off a PDF file of uh, every chapter of the Bible. I've got one right here, actually. I carry it around with me every year. I, uh, I print one off and, and I just track, you know. Um, I, I am a little bit behind in actually marking off, but here's, here's, here's my Bible. And, you know, and, and I can say this is the eighth time that I'll have read through the Bible this year. And so uh, I have not been, I have been graduated for eight years from seminary. No, I've been graduated a little bit over eight years. Hmm. But I made a point to read the Bible all the way through. And I went home that semester, I went home from class, I printed off and I just started reading. And throughout that semester, God began to really change my heart. And in fact, my paper for that class was the doctrine of inerrancy. And it was then that I picked up Norm Geisler's book, um, 
inerrancy. Yeah, definitely. And that was inerrancy. First That's time, right. Yeah. That was the first time that I ever uh, heard of Greg Bonson, by the way. I still mm-hmm. didn't really know who he was. Gleason Archer, J.I. Packer, R.C. Yeah. Sproul, uh, John Winham, like... Here I'm having to wrestle with the reality that God's word is true and all that it proclaims. So that was a really long answer, but and I probably like bored some people. Mm. But the reason that I believed in inerrancy wasn't because of some convincing argument. It was because I had bathed myself in God's word. Mm-hmm. And his spirit worked through the word to change my heart. And so the real question was, and it's one that I began asking all the way back in 2011, excuse me, 2010, is the position that is being articulated by the 1978 Chicago Statement consistent with what the Bible says about itself mm-hmm. and about what the church has said about the Bible throughout its history? Yeah, yeah. And so that was the very long foundation for why write a book on inerrancy yeah yeah and i mean i think uh, the the other thing that you've shared before is also um getting into apologetics just the whole apologetic issue um whenever you were watching james white mm-hmm. the day to jehovah's witnesses yeah. the same issue exactly You're using the bible oh yeah you know 100 oh my true. goodness I, well because I've, I've shared this with you before and i've shared it with others like I loved debate in high school. I mean, in, in college, in, in high school, I was horrible. Uh, but in college, I really enjoyed one-on-one uh, individual parliamentary debate, uh, mm-hmm. International uh, Debate Association, right? Uh, it's one-on-one style of debate. Just loved it. Uh, I was okay. I mean, I wouldn't think of, I'm not going to pretend like I was the greatest debater ever, but I really liked it. And I had someone mm-hmm. tell me one time, well, if you like debate, you, you'd really like apologetics. Okay. I listened to some William Lane Craig debates, and it was like, hmm, this guy's given up so much mm-hmm. to these people, and so it actually turned me off to apologetics, and then John Pabone was at his house 2014, December 2014, I was reading a book, and uh, it was... Um, Comeback Churches, I think that was the name of it, mm. right? So it's about uh, replanting and everything. I thought it was yeah. interesting stuff. Um, and while I'm reading it, he says to me, "You know, what are you doing to build up on your on your love for doctrine?" Uh, you know, I really haven't done a whole lot. He goes, "Hey, I want you to listen to this guy. This is James White, and and he debates this Jehovah Witness." And I'm not joking. I I went home from North Carolina, and it was in. December of 2014, and I listened to that debate, Greg Stafford and James White, about uh, is Jesus God or a God? And Adam, I listened to that debate probably 10 times all the way through, and I would play parts back of it, and I thought, this guy believes the Bible, Mm. and the guy that he's debating can't contend with him. And so I listened to yeah. just about every debate of, of whites that I could, except for any of the debates that he did with atheists or on the doctrine of scripture. Because I had kind of assumed, even though I had graduated at seminary, even though I'd, I had affirmed inerrancy, if you would have asked me, I would have certainly told you that. I was still a little bit scared. 
yeah. of having to deal with someone push against it. Yeah. And then I listened to White Debate David Silverman. Mm-hmm. That would say very great debate. Uh, I can't yeah. even count the amount of times that I've listened I mean, to at least on one side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That changed me. Mm-hmm. What was the beginning? The foundation was God's word. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you give up that foundation, you have nothing. Yeah. It's zero. Zilch. And, and you cannot do biblical apologetics without affirming that God's word is true and all that it affirms. Yeah. That's- and I will gladly put that proposition against anyone yeah yeah so uh whenever it comes to the book then um you know you're, you're talking about uh i mean we talked about on the show before we heck before the debate um that's contained in the book we spent like all five <laughs> weeks of that like yeah. you know talking about every attribute of scripture mm-hmm. and kind of getting into that before getting into the debate um but you know as you know kind of a little um rehashing because we got the book out anyway um you know we can rehash those things but in, in light of your book did god stutter uh for one where did you get the name anyway from, from that but <laughs> like, that's you know, yeah that's actually like my favorite uh little i guess maybe it'll be the most lighthearted piece uh i don't even know that you and i've ever talked about this i mean we talk about a lot of things but like i love um the office yeah right and there's that great line that stanley says did i stutter yeah did i stutter <laughs> yeah. right and, cool. and i was like boom that's it and yeah. then i listened to one of white's um lectures and he actually says that line hmm. Um, I think he's in South Africa, and he says, well, God doesn't stutter. And mm. I was like, boom, office, white, clash them together. Yeah. Does God stutter? Yeah. And the answer is no. God yeah. can clearly, if if we can clearly communicate truths, can not a God who is perfect and all-powerful not preserve his word in such a way so that it can be understood yeah. and that it can actually communicate. And I just love this. And uh, I have a friend in prison, Joseph Merritt. I hope I'm okay to use his name, but I pray for Joseph every day. We talk every week for at least uh, at least 20 minutes, right? Yeah. Uh, I've gone to visit him in Bowling Green before. He's in uh, Bowling Green Correctional Facility. Before COVID, I would go and visit him. I couldn't wait. I was going to bring him food that my wife made or bring him pizza, right? Because he's been eating prison food that's always been able to eat. And then COVID happens and that kind of falls apart. So I haven't been able to see him face to face for a while. But uh, he and I were talking, right? And... Um, he said, you know, uh, whenever anyone tells me that we shouldn't believe God's word, uh, I always say, and I'm just like, it's so close to what we say, but I just think this is how simple it is. Here's a guy who doesn't even have a GED, right? Who just got his GED, like, not too long ago. Yeah. He says, God, who created everything, who is, is powerful enough to create the cosmos, you're saying that he's not powerful enough to take a few thousand words and actually be able to keep them pure? You mean that God's not powerful enough to actually allow his word that he wants to get to his people to get to his people? So yeah. Jesus can walk on water, but he can't preserve his words. Now, one of those things is defying of all physical laws, right? Yeah. Yeah. It defies, I should say all physical laws. It defies the laws of gravity, yeah. right? It defies uh, uh, 
Newton's law, right? Uh, objects in motion tend to stay in motion until yeah. acted upon, right? As gravity falls into that, right? Uh, we know that human beings cannot walk on water. Yeah. Now, the God-man can, but human beings cannot. Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't be impossible for a human being to write an, a, an inerrant document. There are inerrant phone books. You have written inerrant notes. There are inerrant notes on this page. I did, yeah. Right here. I did that today. I said <laughs> 35, and you wrote 35. Inerrancy. Right here. Yeah. But God somehow is not powerful yeah. to do an actual physical physically possible act but he can do so for the christian to say well yeah jesus can raise from the dead yeah jesus can walk on water yeah uh the jews can have the red sea parted these plagues can occur Uh, elijah can can pour water on a um on wood and god can strike it with fire from heaven Mm -hmm. but heck no god cannot do a simply purely natural explanation explained act yeah do you do you see how incredibly stupid that is yeah and i mean that just that's just hume hume (laughs) coming out of nowhere you know so that's the you know the the his argument against miracles is basically miracles don't happen therefore miracles don't happen and so what we're talking about yeah is what we'd call a miracle but by our definition um, would be special providence um it's not a random chance event it's oh, yeah. you know and, and stuff like that you know we can we we still haven't done that show uh, i'm sorry <laughs> miracles man. but I'm sorry i mean sorry. this is this is a big piece that, of that that's my next um, project but, is yeah. is writing for that yeah. as soon as i am not so busy teaching yeah. all the time <laughs> yeah and so the the big issue here that needs to be discussed um it's right in the title after did god stutter it's a presuppositional and historical defense of inerrancy. So this is a primer, right? So this isn't yes, like... Yes, Yeah, this isn't, you know, you're not going to go out and... Like, the book that you're going to get, you know, it's not going to be... i got to find it. Ooh, yeah, there's my keys. It's not this, you know. It's not defending inerrancy. But I do quote from that book yes, in it. <laughs> it's definitely in there. Um, Norman Geisler, uh, Bill Roach, which has been on the show, talking about these things. Uh, anyway, uh, so it's not that, but what it is, is it should get you into the mood. It should get you into a, a thinking pattern of, of, of looking at things presuppositionally and historically. So um, with that said, you know, what is, how does the presuppositional, like, what is that whenever we're talking about inerrancy? Yeah, that's a really great place to um camp out i think for a moment um here's one thing that i i think is is something that should be distinguished from many individuals you don't have to be a presuppositionalist and affirm inerrancy i I believe that richard howe 100 affirms inerrancy um i'm grateful to stand on his side again this is this would be the pot shot that we would take adams because he is a priest i mean (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, practice (laughs) <laughs> and I would yeah. say Norm Geisler, uh, he's not a Calvinist. Paige Patterson yeah. in Vital Issues in the Inerrancy Debate with uh, William Roach in an interview talks about how you, you, know, you don't have to be a Calvinist to affirm inerrancy. Okay, those little pieces are set aside. Mm-hmm. But how is inerrancy, and I believe best understood and uniquely and only consistently defended from the presuppositional covenantal perspective. Yeah. When we start with the uh, 
presupposition that God speaks, and when God speaks about himself, he reveals truth. When he yes. says something about himself, is true. So the, the next piece is to test that against itself. Is this internally consistent, right? Yeah. So what does Scripture say? about its very self. And Wayne Grudem says it's so clear. Scripture says a whole lot about a whole lot of things, but it says a whole lot about itself. Yeah. And what do we see? Well, we see, just jumping to what I think are probably the easiest to recall passages, right? Hebrews 6.18, Titus 1.2, God doesn't lie. Or, yeah. again, we can go to the Old Testament. God is not a man that he does not contradict. Isn't that Nehemiah, right? Uh, that's in, uh, see that one. Oh, man, I just, Sorry, I, I you use, just said I it, utilize I know, this I, 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 I called yeah. you on that one. <laughs> He's not a man that he does not lie. That is uh, whenever Balaam is talking to Balak, and that's uh, why I know that one. That's Samuel. Okay. Yes, Samuel. There you go. First, not Samuel. Is Saint it? Samuel. Uh, Second. Chronicles, isn't it? Chronicles. Uh, it uh, might be in there, too. Sorry. I'm going to say that that's probably quoted a few times, but I know. Yeah. But, but yeah. okay, if that is the truth, if God is... So then what I then need to do is to work through Scripture to see, does God contradict himself? Mm -hmm. You've got a great logic textbook there. Oh, yeah. The definition of a contradiction is that a claim cannot be, two claims cannot be true at the same time in the same way. Oh, Numbers right? 23, 19, not 2 Samuel. Sorry, yeah. as I say, I got the end right. Anyway, yeah. So, when we think about God contradicting himself, contradiction is a lie. So, our, when we look at scripture, does God go back on his word? Does God yeah. change his mind? Does God say, oh, I misspoke there? Yeah. No. Okay, well, then we have this really special thing as presuppositionalists. Jesus Christ, all Christians, by the way, but uniquely when we're looking at it from a presuppositional standpoint, Jesus Christ, God's Word in flesh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, right? Yeah. John chapter 1, verse 1, <laughs> right? Um, uh, John chapter 1, verse 14, right? Uh, the reality is that Jesus has a view of Scripture. Now, we would expect Jesus as Lord to have the perfect view of scripture because he didn't sin that means when god spoke he trusted him completely well wait a second jesus had access to what to god's word in the old testament guess what yeah. we have access to the same thing when scripture is when jesus particularly in scripture is pointing to what god has revealed notice that he never qualifies it in fact yeah. actually what he'll do frequently is in quoting a prophet, he'll actually say, God said. Yes. So, Jesus believed that God spoke. Everything in the Old Testament, Jesus affirmed as true. Oh, yeah. Now, we can say that from a variety of reasons. Number one, just look at what he says and what we have, right? Mm -hmm. But then we can do, we can go one step further, and we can actually recognize that the Jewish context into which he lived had a view of Scripture. Mm -hmm. We can ascertain um, comments by Gamaliel, right? Mm -hmm. By people who were walking in Jesus' day that were Jewish, right? Mm -hmm. What did they believe about Scripture? Well, notice that they're never vague or ambiguous about it. It's true. I mean, you cannot pull vagary out of hath God not said. Yeah. And what's even, and what I see here is especially um, when we're considering the fact that 
Jesus held them accountable. He yes, goes up to the Pharisees. To God's word. Yeah. yeah, and so he says, you know, you, you search the scriptures because because you, you think in them you have eternal life, but you reject me. So even if they're wrong about the message, guess what? Jesus is what 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 that shows. Yes, they have the right scriptures. He's holding them accountable to them. They also speak them so like everything in those scriptures anticipate him in that moment, right then and there, going against the Pharisees, but. Again, they had the scriptures. He was holding them accountable. Same thing in Luke 24. Um, that's another place where he holds people accountable. You should have read the scriptures. You'd know what went on right now. And well, you wouldn't and, be worried. You and, know? And, so, Adam, so, yeah. In the book, like in the first two chapters, I begin to uh, talk about why inerrancy and apologetics are so yeah. closely linked. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it that we are supposed to defend? Hmm. My feels. <laughs> we are supposed to defend God's word. Oh, yeah. We yeah. are supposed to defend the revealed yeah. text of Scripture. So we are supposed to defend the revealed text, which are ultimately, yes. And how do we do that? With God's word. Mm-hmm. Right? We defend God's word with God's word. And this is where things get really clear. There can be no apologist unless God has revealed himself. Yeah, There can be no Christian apologist unless God has revealed himself. And if you have to qualify what you mean when you say that God's word is true, because you don't really mean that, yeah. you get into an issue. Yeah. But this is what actually brings about the, historic, the his, historical development of inerrancy, right? Yeah. This is... Um, quoted in multiple sources, by the way, and proved true if you've, if you've spent any time in church history. Yeah. The idea that the Bible was not objectively, historically, and accurately true didn't develop until around the 17th century. Yeah. Right? And what, what was that? That was the... Enlightenment. Enlightenment. Oh, and that's whenever the circle changed. So it either... So they we're talking about presuppositional issues. It's either God's authority or man's authority, and what we're talking about now, the Enlightenment comes along, and then the circle shifted. Yes. It's still a circle, but mm-hmm. you went from a what we would call a virtuous circle of God rev- revealing himself, you know, the, uh, um, the gospel has been revealed, the wrath of God has been revealed, revealed. nature reveals... <laughs> You know, yeah. so scripture and all that together. Um, so, you know, whenever we're dealing with that, you know, we see that revelation, you see the enlightenment come in, and then we get to be the arbiter of truths. And then we've got what comes Massive out of the rejection. Yeah. yeah. And then you get into what we would yeah. call um, basically German higher criticism, is where a lot of this begins to come in. And that's actually based, yeah. uh, if we're. If we're charting out worldviews, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I love how Sire talks about it, and I actually brought that book, but just finished reading Sire's great book, The Universe Next Door. I think it's like the third time that I've read it, right? Right around in there. And so, one of the things he does in that, and just uh, know that you would uh, certainly be offended, he writes in How Then Shall We Live, I believe. Yeah. Uh, he writes Schaefer's introduction yeah. for that book. I, I think it's either that one or what's the other one? Uh, God is not silent. I can, right? 
so Sire writes that, but he does this basically in the universe next door. He gives a essentially a development of worldviews within the uh, Western world, right? How worldviews have evolved, and one of the na- one of the big pieces is the move from uh, supernaturalism or theism, Christian yeah. theism, and within Western culture to deism. Mm-hmm. From deism to naturalism, from naturalism to nihilism, from nihilism to transcendentalism to what we would then call probably more of a new age and, and then, of course, a postmodern perspective. And he does an excellent job of tracking yeah. those things. This is where you see worldview changing the way that people would look at God's word. And this is where it becomes necessary for the doctrine of inerrancy to be articulated. Yeah, yeah. Some of this came out in that debate, but in the book I spend more time dealing with, okay, here's the 1978 Chicago Statement, right? The Chicago Statement on on biblical inerrancy. Let's comb through church history and the writings of people in, and what I do in, in my booklet is, I chart different individuals from different time periods within church history. Now, mm-hmm. someone could be much more comprehensive than me, right? Yes. Certainly. And there are many people who are much more qualified even than me to do that. But what I'm doing is I'm looking at the church, people from church history that I know from listening to James White's uh, class on church history. Mm-hmm. And he'd talk about someone, so then i go and pick up their book. Actually, I wouldn't even pick up their book. I just open up, I think, ccel.org, if I remember right. Yeah. Uh, I think that's at ccel or ccel.org, something like that. But all these people from church history, you can just read them for free as PDFs, right? Yeah. And so I would, you can also listen to them for free on LibriVox, by the way. A lot of times I'll listen to them and, and look at the printed off PDF yeah. uh, along with it. But all that to say this. What I was looking for as a researcher, and this is something that that I think, I really wish that I would have said some of this in the debate, but I uh, have been a published researcher in rhetorical criticism, specifically generic criticism, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you do in rhetorical criticism um, is you want to, and you do this in qualitative research as well, by the way, is is you you dive into... Uh, a text, and you immerse yourself in the text, multiple readings of the text, right? Yeah. That's what you mean by immersion in, in research, right? So, I've read the 1978 Chicago Statement, I don't know, I, I don't want to say hundreds of times, but easily a hundred times, right? Yeah. And so, I'm pretty darn familiar with it. So, then, after I have spent this great deal of time in it, then I go to these people from church history. Oh, wait, this person says something that sounds a whole lot like, oh, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, the 1978 Chicago Statement wasn't a recent development. Yeah. It was an articulation of what the church had taught throughout history. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's the same thing, like, uh, the difference between, like, a Catholic and a a Protestant, whenever we look at history and we look at councils you know we look at we look at them as apologetical issues that finally came up to where people had to come together on an yeah. issue where yeah. the catholic church goes oh we defined it and it's like no you recognized it and remember this a lot of these councils were pre 
Rome. Yeah. Roman Catholic. Pre-Reformation. There's yeah. A de- there's there's a definition issue with the term Catholic. Um, but the thing is, like, whenever we're talking about these things flying through history, um, the big issue, and this is what I love about the London Baptist, same thing with the uh, Westminster, but just right out of the gate, and point four of chapter one, the authority of Holy Scripture, which it ought to be believed, dependeth not upon the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God, the author thereof, therefore it is to be received because it is the word of God. So, you know, the, the big issue here is like, history is awesome. And you're going to be seeing these teachings flying throughout history, but if history is your basis, you're always going to find its antithesis, right? Well, where did people in church history go, is the question. Yeah, where did they go? What did they say about Scripture? Why did they say it about Scripture? Did their questions or did their statements make any sense if they didn't believe in the objective truth claims of Scripture? Yeah. Now, We've heard this conflated by others, and it was conflated in that debate, too, which is always so goofy. Like, I still, I'm being very straightforward. I'm not trying to be a negative Nancy or anything like that, but this idea that people say, oh, you believe the Bible uh, objectively true? You believe it's literally true? Well, yes, but I also recognize that there are categories of literature. This came up in that debate. Yeah. I don't look at the statement in uh, Psalm uh, 100, verse 14, uh, no, excuse me, Psalm uh, 14, 1, the heavens declare the glories of God, or is that uh, Psalm 19, 1, sorry, Psalm 19, 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. I cannot evaluate that in the same way that I can evaluate the letter that the church in Jerusalem sent to the other churches, especially yeah. if we have a copy of that or a fragment there. Yeah. I cannot evaluate that in the same way that I can evaluate, oh wait, there's an Areopagus, yeah. right? Ah, in Athens. Hmm. Paul went there. Yeah. Yeah. When there is a historical narrative a story about something that happened in history. You yeah. don't evaluate that in the way that you evaluate as yeah. iron sharpens iron, so must one man sharpen another, so, uh, Proverbs 27, 17, right? That's not the same thing. You don't use the same tool yeah. to do that. So, yeah, as R.C. Sproul said, um, I think uh, it's literarily literal. <laughs> it was, was his position. That, that's so, outstanding. You know, yeah, I think that's the base. And I mean, R.C. Sproul was a signer... Of yeah. the, uh, of the, one of the framers, the actually. Yeah, framer. Okay, even better. So you know, but that that's Packer, thing. Geisler, yeah, Sproul, yeah. So a lot of these, a lot of these debates, you know, somebody ends up flattening something, and that becomes a straw man <laughs> argument to be able to flap your gums about, you know, yeah. and, and and take pride in blowing something up that you don't believe. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, but yeah. So the, so his history is really big, and so you do have charts in there, um, mm-hmm. and and that's one of those things. Like again, like we said, it's a primer. And so you see yes. those charts. Well, there's more people. There's more people in history. There's more things to get hold of. So you make your own chart too, and and find yeah. out more. But you know, like I just said, if you if you even just go back to 1689, and then if you're a Baptist and you go into, um, you know, the Baptist faith and message, you go into the New Hampshire, you go into other um, confessions. 
they read a lot similar to this in the Westminster and the Savoy and all that kind of stuff. So you're going to be able to see throughout history. Um, but then again, the basis that I love about um, something like this is it gets you into these people in history. What did they believe? Hmm. And they were going, who are they utilizing yeah. in their beliefs? Well, then you go back another generation or two. Who did they believe? And what were they believing? You go back a generation and what does it all come down to? It comes down to Christ, like you yes. said, the and apostles. what he believed about the word, what he taught about the word. Yeah. And, you know, what is that? That it is the infallible, inerrant word of God. Christ does not make sense. And you have to begin to play. And I'm going to use the term that was uh, used against us one time. We were accused of playing biblical hopscotch. Remember that? Oh, yeah. That was a great term. I enjoyed that. Um you have to do theological gymnastics to say that you deny inerrancy, but you believe Jesus. Yeah, that's 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 what gets me to this day. I mean, like Marcion was a horrible guy, but what we have today is even worse. Especially when we're considering things like the venues in Philip Wright. <laughs> yeah. You know, what is love? I keep on hearing it, but then if I can't go to scripture and get an inerrant objective definition of love, then what are what am I doing? What are you doing? Why does the venues exist? If there's nothing objective. So feel good well, Jesus, about yourself. Right. Well, Jesus, the only way that I can know no, positive things about Christ is reading the word and hearing about Jesus, but then I can also you know, I can cross-reference the word and make sure that that person is telling me the right thing about the Jesus that he is saying that he believes in, or else he's believing a Jesus of his own imagination. So, you know, there's something that God has given us that is uh, um, objective, something that is timeless, again, based on that miracle issue that philosophers hate. But then again, this is why presuppositionalism is so important, because... Um, either you are going to have naturalistic presuppositions, well, you're going to view things naturalistically, or what else is, you know, like the, uh, there's, that's the alternative that the world wants. Yeah. Well, here's, to me, as I kind of began to, to put a closure on the book, because I think this yeah. is where, uh, just to kind of give you the, the overview, you know, I define inerrancy, uh, I talk about how we should uh, understand the definition of inerrancy, where we get that from, then I begin move to, to Christ's views, the apostles' view, church history, I unpack the Chicago statement and uh, quote from a few different individuals who talk about the, basically, inerrancy in a post-Chicago statement world, right? Because there's there's problems after that, right? Yeah. And, and then... I feel like I crystallize it in saying, okay, now that we've looked at why you have to have the Bible, what Jesus said about the Bible, what the church said about the Bible, why this comes from church history, it's not just some recent thing, well, why can you fail to reject it? Yeah. There's a nice scientific fail to reject it. Uh, I think that when we look at things presuppositionally, uh, especially if our goal is to reduce people to absurdity. We are calling them to do more than just fail to reject. Yeah. We're calling them to fully embrace. You see, the way that Christ, the apostles, and the church, 
has viewed God's word is it's not a kind of mm-hmm. thing. It presupposes a reality and a lived reality and what that does. Mm-hmm. And so when you begin to say, mm, that doesn't really mean that, in an arbitrary way, everything begins to go with it, right? Yeah. And so that's why presuppositionally is uh, a presuppositional defense of inerrancy is, in my opinion, the only consistent way that you can do that. Yeah, yeah. Because like again, you can show people with history, and it's it's great that we have history on our side, and we can definitely demonstrate that we do have history. We do have history on our side in this, but ultimately, we do have to go. You're only going to believe this as what the confessions and history teaches only by the holy spirit that's right that's what the bible teaches that's what the fathers taught that's what you know the reformers taught that's what it comes down through the 1689 all the way to america first baptist right where you get the charleston confession where you get um again the new hampshire all these we have to believe it um we get to that time period where um if you get to the battle of the bible you'll hear you know just about the higher criticism yep um, you'll read that, and then you get that defending errancy book, and they kind of finish out the history to get us more contem- you know, contemporary information um, from how you know from that book, Battle for the Bible. It's kind of a continuing debate history of what's been going on and who are the major players talking against errancy well, and and stuff like that. But we we we've got to uh, understand we this this is why we are where we are, and we are still alive breathing and kicking is because God's word is alive, breathing and kicking. That's right. And it's for sure. And we can know it. Um, and so n- instead of being embarrassed, like, like Dave, yeah. like in his opening story, you know, he was coming to a point where it's not true. It's, yeah. It causes depression. It causes embarrassment and stuff. And the reason, and those two things, you want to know why the culture is the way it is, is because of what Dave went through. And it's only by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit that Dave is here today and not somewhere else, you know, yeah. with Rob Bell hanging out or Peter Inns or any of these or folks Phil or Phil Wright. You know, there, there's, there's a reason and God's kept him in the good graces of that. And we can thank God and take, not take that for granted at all. Um, but, you know, there, there's a reason for that. And so getting, in, get, getting into this primer anyway, this cheap little primer um, that we have uh, put it out on Baptist from Reform Publishing. Yes, through Taggart Ministries. Um, just getting that will get you. If you've not dealt with this um, debate or discussion, or even thought about these things, this is just a really good um, just primer. Get into the mode, and then like um, we've had resources on the podcast here to get. If you have any questions, any uh, and if you need titles of books that we've read um, that are out there. Um, we will certainly email you back, message you back with uh, all the information we have of resources to get in on this discussion. Um, Cause right now in America, definitely a politically ecclesiastically family individually, like we're messed up because of the lack of holding to this awesome doctrine. Yeah. Agreed. And I would put it like this. I had a person tell me one time in a discussion that a a college professor, he said, well, the Chicago statement is political. That's why we shouldn't have to sign it. Hmm. 
the gospel and is political. To, Sorry. And to that, I wanted to say I didn't. I restrained myself. So even if it's based upon what Christ said, the apostles said, and what the church has always confirmed based upon what Jesus and the apostles said, you're saying that it's political. And by that you mean that you're having to align with a group of Christians or a group of believers. Everything you do then is political in some sense. And so yeah. don't buy the yeah. propaganda that mm -hmm. this is a new doctrine, that it's a political doctrine, that it's not uh, at all founded in Scripture. I can't prove that in this little booklet. But yeah. I can certainly give you the evidence against that. Yeah. Well, the, you know, the big issue presuppositionally is without the authoritative word of God, from the God of that authoritative revelation, you can't know anything. And we're all just, again, uh, the alternative, uh, Charles Darwin, the alternative that he tried to do was say that we're all protoplasm bags in motion governed by time and chance. And chance does not explain logic and right. order and anything. And this is where the other side might go, well, this is where you're starting to act. No, no, I'm not acting like a classicalist. I'm saying this is, this is the world that you're going to accept if you don't accept mine. That's right. And this is where I'm standing, and it's my circle or yours. And guess what? I don't have to be embarrassed Reducto by a ad absurdium. I don't have to be embarrassed by a circle because it is the authoritative God's reality. Um, that we have to all start with something. Well, it, so. And you'll see people yeah. like the individual that I debated. Mm -hmm. They'll always put something above scripture. Yeah. And and then just, you know, to, to end on that, just this, this definitely is a, a, a thing. Like if we think about the title of the debate, it was, uh, is inerrancy a scale or range of concepts? From the outset, a scale presupposes what? Standard. A standard. What is that standard? Is it virtuous or is it vicious? What by what authority, by what standard? Yeah. So from the outset, the, the proposition fails, if you're going to call it a scale or a range. Every time you say something's on a mm -hmm. spectrum, if, you say anything, like you're, if you're saying something's over here or over here, that means there's something in the middle, right? If there's a left and a right, the only way you can make sense of left and right if there's something in the middle. Yes. And it's either some ideal that's just made up and imagined to say left or right to where it's subjective and arbitrary and a social construct that can fly out the window tomorrow, or you got your true north and God and the triune God that's revealed himself ultimately through Jesus Christ come to earth for our sake to be made sin who knew no sin so that we could be the righteousness of God. Right. And we can know that for true, and we can say that we're more than conquerors. Yes. And from your pulpits, again, if you are not an inerrantist, then from your pulpits, I want you to be consistent and say, Jesus may have died for your sins, but we don't know exactly sure. And live as Blaise Pascal would have you. And just, by good chance, God exists, and you might be with him. And you can become a Muslim. <laughs> Well, <laughs> so that's basically it. Thank you, anyone in the live stream. Thank yeah. you, everyone in the podcast. The book is out as of it's today. Again, just want to make sure. Go to uh, tagyourministries.org slash brpub, or you can just go to tag 
tagyouatministries.org, go to the Baptist and Reformed uh, publishing tab. Um, on there is a donate button. Um, if you give us a donation of any amount, we'll send you a digital copy via your email that you will put in the comments so I can send it to you. Um, also, um, if you want a hard copy, you can go to Amazon, search for it. It's on there, and it'll be shipped uh, to you from there. And we will buy some hard copies. Yeah. Um, in the next few weeks, and we will have them available yeah. uh, when we go and speak places, but uh, certainly want you to be able to get it in whatever medium yeah. you prefer, and if you don't want to wait for us to order our box of them, or however many we get, uh, you can go ahead and order yours from Amazon today. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, just one of those things that as uh, we learn this uh, publishing house idea, because this is just all stuff that we wanted to do. We sl we make images, and uh, we slap names images. on them, and uh, we just want to do something fun. And that's all this ministry is, is to enjoy um, the freedoms that we have in Christ to, to create, to do, and hopefully establish something for his glory, to his fame. And Baptist and Reformed Publishing is one of those. And guess what? We don't have everything together. Um, with <laughs> modern technology, we're utilizing what we can get and using it um, to, again, for his glory um, and for the edification of our friends and family and people we don't even know that hopefully get a hold of these things. So um, as we go along... Um, got any questions if if whatever it is if you got any suggestions on on uh selling books and doing all that kind of stuff we'll take them and uh just uh keep on going progressively um along the way and learning and uh, glorifying god all the more for all the That's things right. so but yeah thank you guys uh, for being with us thank you for uh you know our fifth or fourth fourth year but our fifth season um as always uh being with us and uh knowing us and letting us know you and we just uh, again just uh continue to pray for you guys that um you guys uh, hear these things and they help you um in your conversations as you're if you're behind a chair like me all the time talking to people if you are walking down the street that uh you are equipped to share the gospel um, in season or out of season um, as whoever you are it doesn't matter who you are as long as you love Jesus and want people to love Jesus with you so with that said this is the Tag Year Podcast I am Ray Ray and I am Dave and Soli Deo Gloria Gloria